0: hi everyone and welcome back to my podcast right away i just want to say that excuse the audio in this one um i'm currently in a vehicle a vehicle why did i say it like that i'm not american i'm currently in a vehicle and uh, um i'm on my way to go grab some hay with a friend and bring it back um generally speaking when i'm driving it's one of the times where I am free and able to film these types of things the most readily. So oftentimes, like when I'm filming podcasts I'm on the go either like walking and talking or driving because I do have a very hard time sitting still and actually focusing and being able to articulate my thoughts in a static position. So it does definitely impact the audio on the posts that I do and I apologize for that in advance. But it's generally the easiest way for me to record these and actually be able to focus because I get to like look out the window or see what's going on as I walk and whatnot. And it's the most convenient for me that way. So I have to drive like an hour to go get hay. So while I'm doing that, I'm recording and don't worry, it is hands-free and safe if I were driving. But. I also get other people to drive typically when I am doing these things because I do not particularly like driving. Shocker there, hey? Um, Anyways, with that said, this episode is going to be like a typical mishmash as as are my episodes normally on podcasts because I do not write up like a structure for what I'm planning on talking about because like I said I'm disorganized and I tend to do things on the fly so this one will be no different but the like umbrella term i suppose for the topic that we will be discussing in this particular podcast is just going to be the fundamental misunderstanding of equine behavior on a large scale in the horse world that is a mouthful but that's what i'm going to be talking about today and i'm going to be citing a lot of information from my studies Um, as for those of you who don't know i'm currently in an advanced equine behavior course through guelph university um to follow several of the other courses that i've taken with them over the last few years and i'm probably going to be pursuing that further through another school to get more hands-on like science-based learning for training and adapting behavior in animals but specifically with horses and that's something i'm really interested in going into for a degree but it's quite expensive so we'll see what happens Um, my plans are always changing But anyways, that's what I want to discuss because in my opinion, and I'm not saying this to offend anyone, but I think that the viewpoint of equine behavior and how they learn is so skewed in the horse world to the negative side because a lot of people do not know how to read equine behavior properly and it's very misinterpreted on a large scale even by big name riders and trainers and people who've been around horses for many many years there is a fundamental misunderstanding of how these animals operate and learn and how you can teach them things the best way possible and the most ethical way possible and there's also a fundamental misunderstanding for the management of horses which is in part Due to the misinterpretation of equine behavior and just not understanding the science behind how horses live and need to learn and how they think and it all plays into one another but it makes the horse world very hard to change to be more ethical because people are so misled on such a large scale and it's more common to see people mistaught things than taught things correctly when it comes to equine management and behavior and you see this immensely with how horses are kept. for example, it's very common even in new, brand spanking new boarding barns that have just been built to have stalls boarded up all the way to the ceiling which does not allow horses to see or interact with one another. This isolates them further in an already unnatural setting of a stall which is putting a flight animal into an area that they cannot escape from that is small and renders them unable to have the amount of movement that they're typically supposed to have throughout the day. But we make that worse by making them completely isolated and unable to socialize. This is also seen in paddock situations, even where horses have shared fence lines, because typically the fences are hotwired and then horses cannot properly groom or interact with each other. Or a lot of places will build paddocks about three to six feet apart so that horses are not able to touch or visit with each other and can see each other, but they cannot get that physical tactile touch component that is so important to their behavior. So In the building of these places you see the lack of regard for horse behavior and management because we typically do not set up horse facilities in a way that allows for socialization and we definitely do not set up the typical horse facility in a manner that allows for proper motion and allows the horses to have their natural behaviors of grazing all day and wandering around large plots of land and running around and i'm not saying that people who cannot offer that are entirely unethical but the fact that we're teaching people that the the less ethical way of keeping horses is the norm means that there's no push for people to try to enrich their animals lives in the situation that they have to make them better because they literally do not even know that there's a problem in the first place and that's a very profound problem in the horse world that really needs to get addressed because I grew up being taught that like having horses stalled and keeping them in small paddocks was so utterly normal to the point that I never even knew to look up welfare concerns regarding that until I started going online and seeing what other people were saying and this took this was like honestly eight to ten years into my riding career where I finally started to realize how skewed the things that I had been taught to believe were true actually were and people will say like oh like there's no excuse for ignorance just look it up which I would agree with to an extent but if people don't even know that a concern exists how are they supposed to formulate a thought to look it up for example if you've been had it drilled into your head that stalling is so normal for horses and that they need it and they like it why would you ever look up stalling welfare concerns because you've never been led to believe that there are any in the first place so you can't look for what you don't even know exists and I that's one of the biggest problems is that these boarding barns and like training facilities that typically take in the most new riders are the ones that indoctrinate people into these views and there's an awful lot of dishonesty and maybe just sheer ignorance in how they teach people who knows maybe these trainers aren't being deliberately dishonest in how they portray behaviors and how horses should be managed But if they're not being deliberately dishonest, then they are being extremely ignorant in what they choose to normalize as regular care and practice for horses. And unfortunately, since these types of places are the ones teaching new equestrians, they perpetuate that behavior onto the students and riders that are with them from a very young age or even with adult riders. These adult riders are learning to function in a manner that isn't ethical and they're learning it as their first intro into the horse world so then they learn to never really question it or have a concern about how things are. And it's unfortunate because even people who are old enough to know how to have access to the internet and do things in a certain way, they're not really allowed the freedom to know where to look and learn further because they're taught things in such a cookie cutter manner that honestly discourages them from looking further into things online. And I would also say... The vast majority of these facilities, even with students who would be interested in looking into things further and asking questions online and potentially learning about the welfare problems in their lesson barns, they're discouraged from doing so because if they ever bring up these concerns, trainers do an awfully good job at ridiculing people and making them feel stupid and lacking expertise enough that they shouldn't even voice the opinion in the first place. So as a general rule, I would say that the vast majority of horse people do get into the horse world because of their sheer love for the animal, which is fantastic. But unfortunately, that love is exploited pretty quickly by a number of different lesson bars because of the lack of understanding of equine behavior and how little it's actually taught to riders in new programs. We don't really make an emphasis of like how to read specific behavior signals beyond pin e- pinned ears bad, forward ears good and so on and so forth don't walk behind the horses they might kick the very bare bones basics and this allows for a lot of misinterpretation of the more subtle equine behaviors and then on top of this i would also wager that the vast majority of lesson and training barns will not accurately depict stress behaviors or realistically and honestly look at their management situations and admit where it could be bettered because they don't want to, they view it as a weakness, and they don't want their clients looking at their facility and going, oh this isn't the most ideal for horses and in fact it's not really set up in a fair way for these horses in the first place. There's a lot that needs to be fixed. They don't want that and telling the truth about these instances even if they know the truth is admitting that they're not doing everything They can to enrich the lives of their horses, and it's also admitting that the horses are exemplifying stress or pain behaviors that are present throughout their day-to-day lives, and that's a pretty hard thing to admit as a caretaker for horses. And I say this like even with myself: like a lot of people do not have the perfect ideal setup for their horses. Like for me, I would way rather have a larger turnout for my horses. I would rather be able to offer grass year-round for them and I would definitively rather have a more varied turnout with different types of terrain, with trees, like a real like home range that horses could truly wander and graze on and socialize on in the manner that they are actually supposed to. But with that said, I do recognize that what I offer for my horses is a lot better than the vast majority of people in my area, and on top of that, since I can recognize that they aren't kept in the perfectly ideal setting, it means that I'm doing certain things in an attempt to better it. For example, taking them to grass pasture elsewhere throughout the summer, so that they can have real and true grazing opportunities on larger plots of land that allow them to graze over the course of a large area throughout the day. And on top of this, even in their current turnout that they are in throughout the winter and spring months, typically, I try to do hay feedings over the whole setup of their field so that they have various spots that they can wander and explore to eat hay on, which mimics the act of grazing more. With that said... I also watch out for stress behaviors when they arise like if any of my horses were to start cribbing or weaving I would view that as a huge problem and even with horses that i get in that i know have these problems what you're looking for is a reduction in the stress behavior even if they've already built a habit forming behavior so if i have them out and their stress behavior increases it's an indicator that something needs to change in their management if you notice that the habit formed behavior that they had prior to you getting them has decreased it's an indicator that whatever you're doing has worked to relieve some of their stress With horses that crib, for example, you're less likely to completely relieve the behavior because they develop it as a means to reduce stress. And even in situations where they're not highly stressed out, they may seek it to give them the, uh, sorry, to release endorphins to allow them to feel better and it doesn't even mean they have to be highly stressed. That's a specific behavior where they are likely to keep doing it occasionally even in perfect settings um, if they have the option to. So it's not necessarily an indicator that you're a terrible owner if the habit was created prior to you getting the horse and you can't completely relieve it but the goal should be to try to reduce the behavior and then if you also have a horse that arrives to you without any vices and they develop vices in your care that is definitely something to look at and address and really start to consider how you can change your management style to make the behavior less likely to keep occurring Um, and like, like I said, with myself, this is something that I watch pretty closely with all of my horses, and specifically with a horse like Banksy. Since I bred him and I've known him from birth, if he were to develop a habit like cribbing or weaving, it would be directly related to a stressor that was probably brought about by management. And then that would be a wake-up call to can reconsider how he's being kept. With that said, Banksy is easily the most well socialized horse that I owned. He has the least instance of any type of stress behavior including resource guarding behaviors like chasing other horses away from food or pinning his ears. Out of all of my horses he is the most likely to share his food grain included because he has never had to have a reason to guard these types of things. Whereas a horse like Milo has some pretty profound resource guarding behaviors because he was starved. With that said, his behaviors of resource guarding have gone down in intensity over the years which is a good indicator that he is getting less stressed and frantic around feed time. This has definitely been helped by allowing my horse's free choice access to hay because it makes it a lot less exciting and stress inducing if they're getting set hay times and going hours without hay leading up to those times. So for those of you who have your horses in traditional boarding situations where you might be limited in how you can benefit their lives, my biggest recommendation to you would be to try to get a slow feed hay net and requesting that the barn staff have it filled at all times so that the horse can trickle feed throughout the day and isn't running out of hay in between feedings if you can't control how much they're feeding or how often. And I do understand that for like people in boarding facilities, it is a lot harder to influence your horse's care, especially if you're not the owner of the horse. If you're leasing or riding less than horses, you're pretty limited about what you can do and you're essentially stuck in a situation where you have to put up with a lot of stuff that you might not agree with and just do what you can to benefit the horse's life positively when you're there. So it's a pretty tricky situation, but I think that even just realizing where certain welfare concerns are in modern horse culture and being mindful of them and looking to see how you can make the situation better for the horse like how you in specific can do it so it's not to look at a horse you don't own and be like this horse would be much better if it was turned out 24 7 because you can't influence that But what can you do for that horse as an employee at that barn or as someone who leases it? For example, if you're a barn worker and you know damn well that the horses in the barn situation are not getting their needs met to the extent that they need, it could be as simple as letting the horse get a couple of bites of grass or letting them get some over-the-fence interaction each day that you have with them. And it doesn't need to be a big thing. It can be little actions that you do to just benefit the horse's lives while you can and this can be said for a whole number of jobs or for a whole number of different facets in the horse world. Whether you are a lesson student, a leaser, a horse owner, a barn employee, there are little things that you can do to try to benefit animal welfare in the job that you have. And I do think that one of the biggest problems with a lot of the online trainers and popularized ideals online are that they take a my way or the highway approach that isn't necessarily realistic in its application in the real world. For example, the idea that like no horse should ever be stalled under any circumstance, or that if you use any other method of punishment and like anything aside from positive reinforcement, you're bad. This isn't really realistic in the real world because there's always going to be circumstances where for your own safety you may need to punish a horse or for your own safety and the horse's safety they may need to be stalled at specific times or where you're just completely unable to change the circumstances surrounding the horse and have to make the best out of whatever resources that you have. So I've said this before in other podcasts so I don't want this to get redundant so I'm not going to go into detail on it but what I will say is that I think the correct way of wording things and the way most trainers mean it even if they take the really like harsh stance of you have to do it this way otherwise you suck what they're meaning is that for regular training you should be trying to make your regular training sessions as ethical and as least aversive as possible because you want the horse to actually find some type of relaxation or enjoyment in the work if you're going to train them effectively if a horse is unhappy or stressed in training it is a lot harder to manipulate behavior So with that said, having punishment as the forefront of your training program regularly probably isn't the best idea and it has been shown in numerous studies to not be the best idea. So if you're working with a trainer who insists that punishment is necessary as a means of teaching horses manners, I just want to put it out there that they're not correct in the sense that saying punishment needs to be in a training program all the time so yeah it's just simply not correct to say that punishment needs to be in a training program to have a horse trained with manners like for example with banksy he has basically not really been punished ever um and he's got really good manners and i've found that like especially with colts and stallions people will say that they need to get like the shit kicked out of them in order to have manners But there's like so many studies on animals and even people showing that like the level of aggression you have with them does influence their aggression back. And a lot of horses develop more aggressive tendencies when they are handled with aggression than they would without. Um, And on top of that, punishment gives the horse like very little information. It only tells them what they did wrong, which means that this silences communication between the handler and the horse. And it also makes the horse less willing to try to offer the correct behavior because they will fear being punished for the wrong behavior and it's the same thing with people can you imagine if you're in class and every time you give the teacher a wrong question they just like smacked you with something really hard and made it hurt and painful you would probably stop offering up questions or or trying to offer up the right answer even if you are pretty sure that you're right because you would fear being wrong and it would also like with people horses can't be embarrassed but with people there'd be a sense of embarrassment surrounding that and it's it's seen it with our level of cognition let alone with horses who are flight animals and are literally wired to to flee from danger so punishment is danger to them and they're wired to try to stay away from that so if you're using it frequently in a training program it means that the horse is highly unlikely to communicate directly with you and also less likely to continue offering correct behaviors which is what you should want in training because when you're training any behavior you're generally awarding approximations towards the end goal desired behavior and if you're punishing the wrong approximations all the time the horse is going to be afraid to offer the right ones and it makes them a lot harder to train just be from experience the most troubled horses that i've gotten in are pretty much always the ones that are trained with high levels of punishment and they become basket cases that are hard to train and generally pretty dangerous and unreasonable to handle when stressed so i highly discourage people from using that readily in a training program even if the trainer you're with says to Um, so this kind of leads into my next point which is saying that like Results in a training program do not indicate ethics and I say this as a very important point to make for this entire podcast because people often will cite someone's accolades as a reason to justify their ethics. For example, if you ever criticize a Grand Prix level rider or someone who is very well known and famous in the horse community for their ethics, people will readily defend the person using the idea that if you've not ridden at the same level of them, you're not qualified to judge or that someone at that level would not do something unethical, which is honestly downright untrue. And I also want to put this out there that the vast majority of riders and trainers at the upper level do not have any sort of education on animal learning theory or equine science and like i said like like this whole podcast is about there is a fundamental misunderstanding and misinterpretation of equine behavior and learning theory in the horse world and it is so ingrained that many of the people that we see at the upper levels and respect are guilty of doing exactly what i'm saying here where they will misinterpret behaviors and they'll also have barns full of chronically stressed horses who are showing a number of different pain and stress related behaviors may it be in their stalls in their turnout while being tacked, while being ridden and the person doing well at a certain level doesn't take away from the fact that their horses are stressed and unhappy and like I said what you do at a certain level and having results in your training program doesn't mean that you got there ethically there's a lot of highly talented upper level horses that do great things and have made huge names for themselves and as a result have made a big name for the person on them but that got there by being mistreated and I think that one of the most important things to change if we're really going to overhaul the horse world is that people need to stop looking at show results as a means of discussing someone's success because some of the most successful trainers in terms of behavior modification and results within an ethical program don't show at those high levels and I would wager that the reason why they don't is because of how common it is to see people dealing with their animals in an unethical manner. It's completely demoralizing to be frequently surrounded by that if you're aware of how bad it is and how stressed the horses are and how to read those more subtle stress behaviors or even the overtly stressed ones that we sometimes see they're oftentimes taken out of context or worded in a manner to say that a horse is bad for doing it and that they're doing it intentionally which thereby justifies the rider's reaction if they're really highly quick to punish and punish them harshly and i say this from experience because as i've gotten like more educated and more adept at reading equine behavior and just learning about how they learn and how highly sensitive and emotional they are as animals it is very hard to participate in the horse world to the extent that i do because it's so it's frustrating to see how much mistreatment of horses is justified on a large scale and it's also hard to see people that i used to really respect and value as riders participating in it Um, at this point i'm honestly less surprised to hear that a rider is abusive than i am to hear one that actually gives their horses adequate socialization and space to roam and actually treats them nicely in a training program and I suppose I'm different from a lot of the really positive-minded writers in the sense that I don't think that all training programs need to be utterly devoid of any stress to be ethical. But if it's a situation where the animal is always in a state of stress when they're around their person or basically always in a state of stress, then it's not really a situation where we as horse riders and handlers can claim that we do this because we love the horse. Because if it was truly just about the love for the horse, we wouldn't be able to consistently justify mistreating them and putting them in highly stressful situations for our our own pleasure without wanting to rectify the stress that it inflicts on them. And I think that the only way to really address the way people view horses is actually educating them on how horses think and how training works on a scientific basis because it'll force people to stop rewarding results and start rewarding ethics and the results that follow ethical training programs. And until that happens, there's not really any incentive for people to change because the upper level riders will still get applauded and they'll still win ribbons and titles with their training programs even if they're unethical. So it doesn't really matter to them because they think they're right and they're also getting rewarded for it time and time again by all of their supporters and also the judges and whatnot that place them in their respective placings at shows and like just to point out how bad this is it's pretty ridiculous that on like the mainstream show circuit for example we have people like Marilyn Little who have had numerous instances of bloody mouths and aren't really getting any repercussions for it like she's still allowed to be like she still has supporters and fans commenting on all of her pages she still is able to go to shows and win especially in like dressage classes where you'd think that they would want to value relaxation and actual proper submission due to relaxation rather than someone who is known for bloodying their horse's mouths upwards of seven times um but She's still allowed to compete and she's still rewarded for doing what she does, like a- actually at competitions, but also by the general public in the horse world. And as long as people like that are continuously allowed to exist and have their dirty laundry aired, but still be rewarded for it, there's not really any incentive for people to change. And having that happen on such a mainstream basis and having other people see it, whether they're riding at her level or not, it shows them that it's okay to do that and that it's normal so it normalizes it to all these young riders who might be in programs with trainers who like her bloody up their horse's mouths or do these things and it shows them hey like this is okay even at the top levels of sport and it happens and it makes it easier for them to justify it being by shrugging it off and being like oh well this is just like an accident that happens sometimes and in reality like if you're riding lots of horses like I can only speak for myself I can't speak for other people but realistically like how many of you guys have actually bloodied a horse's mouth? Let alone seven times in competition. Because what you have to consider there is like, those are only the times she's gotten caught. And if it has happened that many times in the public eye, you can infer that it probably happens behind closed doors fairly frequently. Because at shows, above anything, she would probably be trying to model herself in a way that is the most publicly respectable and is less likely to behave in a manner that will be frowned upon. So you would think that her behavior would be starting to change publicly no matter what to try to model what the public eye wants to see. So the fact that it's happened that many times in the public eye is, like, highly concerning. And I'll admit, I have had horses come off with a bleeding mouth, but it has only been in situations where something pretty dire has happened and it has only happened to me on race horses, actually. Um, so what I mean by something pretty dire is I'll be in a situation on the racetrack where I'll definitely have a horse that is stressed and is reacting um, and they might do something like lurching forward suddenly and leaping and then in a way where the bit pokes the top of their mouth or where they bite the edge of their tongue. Usually it's from biting the tongue. But with that said, like even on the nervous horses, it's a situation where it literally happens once and that's it. It's not something where it happens frequently with the same horse and different horses over a pattern of time. If it's a rider that's doing it to numerous different horses fairly frequently at shows, a number of times then you can generally wager that the only commonality is the rider and like I said accidents happen there's definitely times where you can accidentally hurt your horse with the bit and cause rubs or have the mouth bleed and have it become a problem but with the amount of blood that has been present on her horses the number of times it has it's a pretty absurd amount of blood that is an indicator of a problem and then when you pair that with the types of bits that she typically uses when these things are happening it's pretty clear that it's a rider problem but like I said some things do happen by accident so this isn't to vilify everyone that has ever made a horse's mouth bleed but you have to watch how often someone does something and if they've appeared to learn or change as a result and I don't think she has and she's still getting rewarded for her behavior and I think it's pretty shameful that we have a horse world full of judges that are just allowing this to happen and aren't really doing anything about it and I understand how hard it can be to go after people who are big names in the horse world and kind of put them in their place but it really does need to happen and this is why I'm trying to appeal to the little guys in terms in the grand scheme of things the horse world people who aren't at the pinnacle of the sport are the little guys which is honestly most of us so if all of us start to demand a certain level of ethics in horseback riding there's not going to really be enough support for them to continue things the way they are. We all need to start to do better and demand better at horse shows because for a lot of riders, competitions are basically the reason why they ride they ride to compete they want to go to competitions i'm not saying that's a bad thing but a lot of people competition is what they love the most about riding their horse they love to go to competitions they like to practice for competitions overall like most of the riding they do is catered and centered around getting to those competitions so if the competitions are rewarding shady riding then they don't have any incentive to change but if the competition start rewarding riders for having relaxed horses and start making regulations in a manner that strongly discourages or disallows people from using really cruel and aversive equipment like extremely harsh bits it'll make it an uncomfortable setting for the unethical riders to be in and that's the horse world I would like to see because it gives more access to people who are truly in it for the horse and want to have a partnership with their horse but also want to compete and show. Offset partnership it allows them more access and it makes it easier for them to do well because their ethics will actually be rewarded whereas right now being fast and taking shortcuts and just doing what you have to do in order to get a ribbon is what's being rewarded which means there's no incentive for people to do it the right way and try to make it the best case scenario for the horses so shows are definitely a major consideration in terms of improving ethics because if the show regulations change it targets the big names in the horse world and forces them to enact change and unfortunately a lot of the biggest names in the horse world right now are old enough that i don't think that there's going to be a lot of push for them to completely overhaul their training programs that they've been participating in for probably decades at this point unless there's something to push them to do so that allows them to continue showing and getting awarded for what they're doing in training and we can only demand that by continuing to educate people and making it pretty clear like what a stressed horse looks like and what certain pain behaviors are and just common methods that aren't necessarily fair to the horse because a lot of them are so justified on a large scale that essentially what happens if you ever speak out about it especially in groups that really reward people who have this mindset you just get called like a a tree hugger a backyard again backyard rider a snowflake someone who just feeds their horse for being bad because they these types of people love to take things out of context in order to discredit people because it's the only way they can mentally cope with what is being said because if they acknowledge at all that the person has a point then they have to come to terms with the fact that something they're doing might not be fair to the horse and I think in the like deep down I do think some of these people probably have some reservations but with that said these behaviors are so ingrained in our society that some people honestly might have no idea so it's frustrating because it requires power in numbers and what this will require is for people who may not be typically be comfortable speaking out on things to speak out and have a voice and that's very hard to do especially when the side that you're trying to combat is vitriolic and likely to insult your intelligence and your credibility um, to do that So what I am trying to do personally is that I'm just trying to continue educating myself. I'm trying to be honest online about past mistakes and point them out and throw myself under the bus as often as possible in order to make my points. Because I've found that in doing that, it makes other people feel less attacked, even if they're guilty of the things that I'm taking issue with. If I admit that I've done them before and have found the better way and I'm doing them differently and list off why and have the education to have citable sources that are credible to back my points it gives me more power so what i'm doing with my education now is i'm pursuing an equine behavior education and trying to better myself and my knowledge on horses from a scientific background on learning theory and whatnot because it lends me credibility the problem is that this is expensive to do and it's hard for a lot of people to have access to do the same thing and on top of that with the state of the horse world right now people don't really value educations over practical experience very much and practical experience with horses is highly important I don't think you could work with horses solely off of book smarts and no smarts in terms of actually handling them because you do have to learn how to think quick and do things on the fly with horses and you can't learn that in a classroom so I think both sides are important but I do think that a scientific education is something that needs to happen in training programs with students um So with that said, my hope is that eventually I could start to take on more students and help to try to educate people initially from the get-go and teach things properly and honestly when it comes to stress behaviors and other things, Um, but that requires a lot of space not only to take on students but to have horses in lesson programs, and it requires a lot of money, which frankly I don't really have access to. and like like i said earlier with like wanting my horses to have more space and stuff all of these things are things that i'm really trying to drive for in my career but it requires a lot of support and financial backing and unfortunately for people like me the people who tend to get the most financial backing are the ones that can make them a name for themselves quickly on the circuit and continue to do so which generally requires money in the first place but also requires shortcut methods that people might not want to partake in due to the lack of ethicality surrounding them. Um, And that's kind of the struggle that I'm dealing with personally. Like I've not really advanced anywhere near as far with my horses as I would like to. Um, And in the past, I've been trying to advance a lot quicker, which in all honesty made me advance slower because I would stress out a horse like Milo and then we would go back 500 steps rather than going forward. And it's prolonged the time that it takes to train for sure. With that said, now my methods have become so relaxed that like the priority isn't like speed of achieving a goal for me it's trying to move at the horse's pace and that means that I'm not able to do things on the timeline that I would have previously have liked to do and have horses that are ready to show big heights and to participate in arenas where if we were to do well it would lend more respect and credibility my way to the people who do not value school smarts and only value results-based methods um but i do eventually hope to get there and i'm hoping that in using my platform to speak to people who are already actively competing on these circuits that hopefully they might learn something that may start to turn the wheels in their head and change their viewpoints to a different way so basically in short i suppose like the biggest problem if i was to try to like completely concisely say it which is probably not going to be so concise cuz as i said i'm on the fly I think that we need to just make more of an effort to actually educate beginners on equine behavior, which is going to be really difficult because our entire culture in the horse world generally revolves around a superiority complex that involves making fun of beginner riders when they post stuff online or in the public eye, and just overall being cruel to people for their views on horses or how they ride if they don't have perfect equitation and so on and so forth. We've really instilled a value of prestige and results and aesthetics over a value of ethics which it needs a complete overhaul and it'll literally involve people having to change what they've grown comfortable doing and how they've grown comfortable speaking to people online that they don't agree with or how they view riders that they think aren't as talented as them or might be less aesthetically pleasing so it's like a huge overall change that doesn't just apply to horses because I think that a lot of the aspects of mistreatment towards horses also reflect on mistreatment towards people and how humans typically hand handle it when they're met with information that conflicts with what they view to be correct. Um, But if we make an effort to like try to befriend new riders and offer them resources to kind of read up further on horse behavior and learn more about the practical approach of like learning theory and whatnot it'll allow them a toolbox that will let them question practices of the trainers they're with a bit more and learn how to more effectively apply what they're taught in the lens of how horses learn and get their timing more accurately Because even if you're using an entirely negative reinforcement-based program, like timing is very important. And for unbalanced newer riders, it's a lot harder to time correctly with negative reinforcement than it is with positive reinforcement. So if they were to learn learning theory, you could even give new riders exercises that just involve trying to teach tasks to their dogs or cats at home using positive reinforcement and practicing their timing that way before moving it to horses. And then in turn, you could use that to build their understanding of negative reinforcement so if we taught that it would allow riders the means of backing what their trainer tells them using science and being critical of ethics so i guess like the thing that i hope that people take out from like my posts and my podcast the most um would be that like most horse behaviors are pretty well linked to how we handle and care for them and i think that we use a lot of stereotypes to view certain horse behaviors for example like we do mares a disservice by blaming any of their means of communication like pinned ears swishing tail kicking out on the fact that they are a mare Similarly, we do this with like chestnut horses, blaming how they are a certain way on their color. And neither one of these things has been found to be particularly true in studies. With that said, there haven't really been any large scale studies done to make like a conclusive claim. But you would think, if it were as true as most of the horse world believes it to be, that even in smaller scale studies, that there would be a pattern that would show that it might be a viable thing to believe so i think that like more horse owners need to start to listen to their horses because they are very emotional animals and they have like more facial expressions than dogs do the problem is that a lot of their behaviors are a lot more subtle than other animals that people are familiar with and then we're they're a lot easier to ignore but with that said a lot of people even miss dog behaviors as well so it, it involves people taking more accountability for their horse's behavior and blaming themselves a little more which is really hard to do because no person likes to be wrong and it's hard to do as a horse owner because if you have owned a horse for a while or if you've been riding horses for a while and doing things a certain way it is definitely super hard to look at it objectively and be like holy crap I've spent this many years treating horses in a way that probably wasn't very nice to them But with that said, it's better to realize it as soon as possible than to continue going out your business causing harm where you could have been more ethical. Um, And I think that this also involves people admitting that they don't know as much as they think they do because you have to read further into horse behaviors and learn how to tell the subtleties of them and a lot of horse behavior can also be situational so there can be situations where they could do something that might indicate pain or stress but do it within a context where it doesn't like for example a horse could be swishing its tail the entire time for a ride because there's flies or a horse could be doing that because it's uncomfortable there's a lot of nuance to horse training and judging their behaviors so it requires A pretty comprehensive knowledge of not only what certain behaviors look like and what they're generally tied to but also being able to look at it situationally to try to read it but at the end of the day like what we do know about horses and what we can say concretely is that they do not have the brain capacity to do things in a malicious manner that a lot of people perceive their actions to be within so when a horse is not being obedient, generally speaking, it'll be because of confusion, stress, fear, discomfort, pain, or the trainer not being overly clear with what they're asking. And we often view it as a direct threat to what we want to do in the horse just saying no and being bad and the problem in doing that is it implies that the horse's duty is to always be obedient without an opinion and it also implies that horses do things just to piss us off which then justifies harsher treatment of them and it it also lets people off the hook for their actions because they can take out their frustration on a horse and have some of that be relieved. So it's reinforcing for the person to do that, um, and then they don't have to accept any accountability for it, and they can feel justified in their actions, even if it's confusing and unfair to the horse. So we just we need to do a better job of explaining equine behavior to people and really like like picking it apart and looking at, at at it like objectively situation to situation and we can also admit to ourselves that like none of us are perfect trainers even highly educated science-based trainers can make mistakes and have cues be confusing or adjust their posture in a manner that accidentally links a behavior to a certain physical movement without even realizing it like humans are not infallible we will all make mistakes and we will continue to do so and how you handle those mistakes is what matters the most and i think that we as horse people need to be more comfortable with the act of making mistakes because as it stands like admitting that you are wrong is viewed as such a weakness in the horse world that few people do it um and it also brings about criticism especially online because horse people are kind of pansies and they're not likely to call you out in person in the same way but it it, it's difficult to do and our entire culture discourages it because we're supposed to like have complete and utter trust in our trainers and we are supposed to believe certain things because like the upper level pros do them and this and that and we've just been so misled from the beginning and it's unfortunately normalized a lot of bad things that result in reduced welfare for the horses um like I said, like the entire idea that horses need stalls in the first place is an entirely human-centered idea. Stalls came about for human convenience because they make horses easier to catch, they keep them cleaner, and they keep them close to where the person is going to be grabbing them from to go ride them stalls were not made for horse welfare because it is not good for them to feel like they do not have the autonomy to leave a situation like a stall for hours on end and when given the option as I'm sure even people who say their horse loves a stall they would never leave the stall door open overnight because they know damn well the horse will leave if the horse loved the stall as much as people say they would spend their time in it even if they were not forced to and that is not how they handle things but we've been so indoctrinated to believe that this is the way to go because it's done on such a large scale that like people have stopped questioning things as much and it's kind of the traditionalist this is the way it's always been mentality and that is such a dangerous one to have because it doesn't allow for growth and it doesn't allow people to objectively look at things as we learn more and enter modern times where there's way more studies available like for example even in the last five years there's been so many more published studies on horses I started taking equine science courses I think back in 2015 and it's crazy how many more studies I can access now compared to then it's bonkers like I can't believe it I was blown away when I started taking the course I'm in now and when I opened the university library and saw how much more tested evidence there was and with that in mind there's really no excuse for people to be so rigid and wanting to change things and saying that this is the right way to do things because with anything, like even outside of horse training, there's an awful lot of stuff that we've realized was not true or was not the best way to be doing things as we've grown and learned. And even with teaching humans, some of the tactics that we frequently use are not the most science-based or effective in manipulating behavior and changing it and Having people actually learn, like a lot of the methods we learn, we use even for humans, are not correct. And even within like parenting, schools of thoughts, there's a lot of old methods that people still want to use and say work because they look at anecdotes and then they refute studies because they'll be like, "Oh, this worked for me," but this is why I'm reiterating so much that results aren't an indicator of ethics and generally speaking, in an ethical training program, you're going to be able to manipulate behavior easier because you'll have a willing participant who is not afraid of you. And the same can be said within humans and human-to-human training and interactions. You're more likely to modify behavior if the person doesn't perceive what you're doing as a threat. And we're guilty of perceiving things as a threat in terms of like horses behaviors because if they sway from what we want them to do and what we view as correct, we view it as them disobeying us and needing punishment traditionally. And it's unfortunate because it's a very human centered idea that like the horses owe something to us. It to us, ugh, I can't talk, I'm sorry. That the horses owe something to us and it's it's messed up because i've heard a lot of people justify like training their horse in a harsh manner based off the fact like they only need to do this for an hour a day and they get fed and taken care of otherwise so this is the only thing i ask for them within that one hour but unfortunately for the horses they don't understand that and also with that in mind A lot of the people who use that excuse do not have their horses in a living situation that allows them to be happy and relaxed in their free time. So their free time very likely consists of solitary confinement away from other horses where they cannot move around readily and run and play and actually enjoy themselves or where they might not have a free choice access to food and it's not necessarily the relaxing utopia people try to portray it as when they try to say my horse is so well cared for so they can tolerate me being unnecessarily harsh on them when they're bad and even if it were that utopia it's not really the best argument because your horse doesn't owe you to work without payment when you're supposed to be their caretaker and have their best interests at heart And, like, even with people, like, if you were working off room and board, you wouldn't view it as a reason for people to have a free reign to abuse you. You would view it as a job, and even within a job, you're still deserving of autonomy and fair care and welfare. And we should view it the same as horses. Like, what I've started realizing in training is that, like, there's certain things that I do that I could try to justify and say I shouldn't need to do because I pay for the horses in other ways and make their lives enriching in other ways, but when I want them to do something for me that goes against their nature, I should should be paying them for it. And generally speaking with horses, payment is in terms of food. So when I want horses to load in a trailer, they get paid for it because what other incentive do they have to go in other than me scaring them in and forcing them in and if you do that what incentive do they have to be happy and comfortable and relaxed in there and like the trail trailering is like the biggest test of like what horses are willing to do for us because we're putting them in a dark confined box that rattles and takes them to a new place that induces stress every time and if we induce stress to get them in there, we're not setting them up for the best success. And like, that's one of the easiest things to train without force. And yet in the horse world, it's still so common to see people chasing horses into trailers and getting mad at them using methods where they make it harder, quote unquote, to be outside of the trailer than in it and try to make the trailer a rest spot. But the problem is like, even if the horse escapes overwhelming stress outside of the trailer, once they get in, they're still gonna be stressed. And like that's one of the easiest practices to modify and use a positive approach and people still can't do it. And there's some really cool studies that are done on like specifically with trailering horses where they compare working with horses using positive reinforcement compared to like regular loading methods which involve punishment and negative reinforcement and it's pretty profound the differences like there is one where they did it on horses that were shipping to slaughter and this was in europe so they have like a their meat trade there is actually like for people so they actually have farms that produce horses to be used for meat it's not like here where typically it's horses that go to auction and end up being bought by kill buyers and then produced for meat but with that said, so they have, they have these farms and the food farms meet all of the horse's basic needs. They get socialization, they get grazing, they get to interact with their friends on larger plots of land where they actually have space to run and move around. And in the study, they tested loading them with traditional methods and these are unhandled horses who have not been haltered and have not seen a trailer versus with positive methods. and the positive horses who were prepared using positive reinforcement and making the trailer like a fun place loaded in like 30% less time than those who use traditional methods and there was also way less stress behaviors like kicking biting rearing and fighting amongst themselves in the trailer so not only did it make it safer for the horses but it also made it safer for the humans and it made it easier for the humans because they loaded quicker and this is with entirely unhandled horses whereas most of us when we're loading horses we're working with horses who had minimum or halter broke and then it should be even easier to do this so this is like all trailering is like the test that has shown me how easy it is to modify behavior on horses when they're not scared or stressed or being bullied into situations and Like I said, like I said earlier, there's certain situations where you may have to use punishment or train in a manner that you would not regularly partake in as part of your program. For example, for myself, when I went to go pick up horses from the racetrack to take home, I did not have any of my training protocol on hand and the people who had the horses wanted to load them quickly and don't necessarily use the same methods I would in training to load their horses, meaning that we had to load with a lot of coercion, like putting a butt rope behind the horse or a broom to kind of usher them in a chain over in the nose or in one case with one of the horses a lip chain because he had been stalled for so long leading up to it and was being dangerous to walk down to the trailer and unfortunately in high arousal states like that where they're really excited and they need to move and they're being kind of stupid flighty and dangerous not stupid in the sense that they're unintelligent but they're behaving in a manner that is potentially harmful to the people around them. Those are the situations where I'd be more likely to justify the use of coercive methods. Like I hate lip chaining or twitching horses, but if it's for the safety of a vet or myself in that one circumstance for a short period of time, I will do it because there are certain scenarios that you cannot train yourself out of in real life. So like I said, we use the coercive methods to get the horse loaded for those times. And it was pretty eye-opening how long it took the horse to load then versus when I was loading by myself with no other help compared to when I had three people helping me at the racetrack to get the horses in. It was profoundly different how long it took the horse to load. I loaded the horse within probably 45 seconds on my own using no pressure on the halter and just reinforcing entering the trailer or approaching it or investigating it with their nose with treats compared to the time it took at the racetrack which was probably 15 minutes um obviously that's an anecdote but coupled with all of the research done on such things it's pretty pretty supported evidence so that kind of shows how you could apply it to training and make it how bettering the welfare of your horse also makes them more trainable and i've also noticed that this in circumstances where the horses are not getting enough turnout they're way harder to ride. They're typically more flighty, more likely to buck, bolt, or rear under saddle, or very hard to get to relax. So a large portion of the ride is just trying to get them to calm down and relax compared to horses that are out in turnout who come out and they're coming out pretty much ready to work and you don't get all the bad behaviors. That's the impact of good welfare and training. And even for myself, like it's been a lengthy change to take place and to start to realize this because it's required a lot of research on my part and initially I wasn't as driven to seek the research because I didn't want to change my ways because it was harder to do and I believed that what I had known currently was the right way and that there couldn't possibly be enough conflicting information to need to model my training program and I was wrong and now that i'm seeking more information and talking to all sorts of different types of professionals who have more experience in other areas than i do and who have participated in more science-based trials and whatnot it's allowed me access to ideas that i wouldn't have otherwise been open to prior so it's been a slow change and i don't expect like everyone in the horse world to change immediately because like i said even for myself it was never a situation where I was always easy to change and I, where I wasn't stuck in my ways. And there are certain things that like haven't necessarily changed in my program, but I've gotten more effective with how I train the more I've learned. Because to some extent, even when I was working with really aversive trainers who were really quick to punish and not nice to their horses and had poor management, I still use positive reinforcement for trick training and other aspects of horse Horse training, but I didn't use it as effectively, so the results were not necessarily as profound as what I would see now. That I know how to quickly mark behaviors and how to train using learning theory for horses, and I didn't know how to use them in other contexts, which is the big thing because a lot of people do not know how to change the context of their training to a more positive minded context using high value reinforcers when they've been taught primarily with punishment and negative reinforcement. It can be hard to imagine ways to use other methods to train the same tasks that you have learned how to train another way. And it requires some level of creativity. And then when you do realize it, it means that you have to eat your words. Like for example, which a lot of people who have followed me extensively can attest to this In my advanced equine behavior program that I'm in currently, we had the pleasure of having the guest speaker, Shauna Koresh. And for those of you who do not know Shauna, she is a very well-known positive reinforcement trainer that predominantly works with horses, but she also used to work with SeaWorld at SeaWorld. So she's worked with like marine animals and all sorts of different types of animals. But she is like the trailblazer for clicker training in horses and positive reinforcement in horses. And she's done a lot of work with horses. So it was a pretty big deal to have her as a guest speaker and to be able to ask her questions and get a response to them. And like she even surprised me with the amount of response I got to my questions because she gave me an 18 minute video response, which was like insane because we have a class full of many students and she was responding to all of their questions. And it was was just very kind of her to take the time out of her day to do that without compensation. And that's a lot of time to take because that's just the time she spent answering my questions and i asked three of them and some people asked the same or more some less but anyways shauna is a well-known clicker trainer with horses and she has done a lot of work with horses and i asked her some questions with regards to like working with stallions using like positive methods and how a lot of people think that you can't do it because they're more nippy and they tend to be more aggressive and I told her that my stance on the matter was that I don't think that they're actually more likely to have these behaviors. I just think they're more likely to have their management ignored and be kept in a manner that encourages these types of behaviors to happen. And. When she answered my question, she said she agreed with that and that she's worked pretty extensively with stallions and hasn't found it to be a problem ever and that the stallions tend to be very respectful. And in cases where they're in high arousal from either stress, fear, or wanting to breed mares, she said she would just leave the situation because she is her being there is reinforcing to them. So if they're acting like fools and she leaves the situation, it's negative punishment in the sense that you're removing the high-value reinforcer, who is the person that is training them and is rewarding their behaviors. And it meant that she was able to enact behavioral change on stallions in a way that most people wouldn't be possible. And a lot of people would still disagree with that, but this is someone who's worked with a lot of horses on a large scale, saying that it works on top of all the behavioral studies backing that. And the instance where I had to eat my words was I asked her about using positive reinforcement under saddle and initially I had stated online publicly that I did not believe this to be possible in a realistic setting because I personally did not understand how to utilize it and a lot of the people I saw perpetuating the possibilities of using it under saddle did not use it in a manner that I viewed as viable in a training program where you're trying to produce sport horses for competition um most of the trainers even now that i see utilizing positive reinforcement under saddle typically don't do much in the way of riding which is totally fine but when your work is distinctly related to working with sport horses and high value competition animals you do need a means of using it that is able to be used within the confines of what you're trying to teach the horse so when i asked shauna this question her answer was kind of an aha moment for me because it made it a lot more clear how it could be used and it gave me a means of using it within the confines of the type of training program that the horses i typically get are in Um, And it made it make sense in a way that it hadn't before. And definitely when I'm starting horses under saddle, this is a very viable way that I could make riding more fun for them. So anyways, for those of you who are wondering, what she told me is that what you would do when you're teaching horses using positive reinforcement under saddle is that prior to ever using it for under saddle work, you would have to have a secondary reinforcer bridge cue which for many it would be the clicker for me since I have ADHD and often struggle to grab things out of my pockets quickly and um, mark it on time I found it a lot easier to either do a verbal clicking cue like different from like what clucking would be to get a horse to go forward just a tongue cluck like or just saying yes or good as the bridge cue and so she said you on the ground you would train them using positive reinforcement with that bridge cue and get it to the point where they definitively know the secondary reinforcer so that when you use it under saddle they know what it means and then what you would do for example if you're trying to teach a horse let's say to pick up trot off your leg very quickly and responsively." What you would do is you would have the horse at the walk and you would add leg ask them to trot they would trot a step or two you do the bridge cue and then you would give them a treat reward after the bridge cue my concern with doing this in the past was that i said i thought that it would encourage horses to stop which when i asked my question regarding this i told her that and she stated that what you're when you're using the bridge cue if the bridge cue has been taught effectively enough to the horse prior they won't necessarily always associate it with a stop because when you're initially training the behavior you'd ask for less in the way of striding so if you're asking for a trot you do a few strides when you're initially trying to really heavily reward that behavior and then gradually you'd extend to more and then as the horse gets really good at it your reinforcers would become even less and you just do them occasionally so that the horse knows that there is a reward behind that cue but they're not necessarily getting it all the time so it doesn't encourage them to stop after every time they offer that that cue and then also when you're extending the time that they spend trotting they can't anticipate when they are going to stop and that was something that really spoke to me in terms of using like a bridge cue and using positive reinforcement under saddle, because it gave a means of doing a behavior in a way that is not at all dissimilar to how you would train it anyways. Because when you're initially working a horse with negative reinforcement, you're not going to ask them for like the end goal immediately. Like When you're initially teaching leg cues on a horse... You're going to put your leg on, and if they take one step, you remove the pressure and you say, good horse. You're not going to just put your leg on the first time and expect a horse to know to go right forward to trot, or you're not going to put your leg back and expect the horse to go right to canter. You're going to gradually build in the same way you would with positive reinforcement to getting them to do the cue that you desire in the end. And this was something that actually gave me, like, a really clear and concise way of starting to adapt this to my riding training programs to make the horses have more drive with that said like I'm not gonna take the route of what some people online do and just perpetuate the idea that the only ethical way of riding is just with positive reinforcement because that's not really what studies have found and I also do think that like you would run into problems with always having like a bridge cue for example in a dressage test like you wouldn't be able to bridge the movement there because you're not supposed to speak out loud to your horse so there are areas where you could not use it but with that said if you're using it the vast majority of the time it's less likely for the behavior to extinct which means to stop being like associated with that bridge cue and viewed as a rewarding behavior um And then also like with client horses, if they're only in for like 30 days, I won't necessarily have the same amount of time to effectively teach a bridge cue and then also apply it under saddle to teach the behaviors that I need under saddle. But it's given me a toolbox that allows me to better the welfare of the horses and teach them more drive in a number of different settings. And I still think that negative reinforcement is a very useful training method for a number of behaviors, But if you want animals to have drive, you need a reward that they want to seek and you need to use it a fair amount in training. And the problem with horse training is that since so much of our training is largely based on negative reinforcement and punishment, there's not really the same incentive for horses to love their work and to want to do what the rider is asking um, as there would be if there was like a tangible reward that they want to seek. And it'll be interesting to compare because like with Banksy it'll be like since he's so young I have all the time in the world to condition certain responses to things before I ever even sit on him which will make it a lot easier to have the behavior be modified and attributed to like a reward-based system and I would imagine it'll make him a lot more willing than other horses that I've ridden um and I'm excited to test that theory because it's a lot harder to, like when a horse has learned to associate certain things with negative responses or being punished and stuff, um, it's harder to reassociate the cue with something positive and it definitely takes more work if the stimuli that they have been taught is no longer novel or new. Um, it requires more work on the trainer's part to adapt that behavior. Um, because the horse has already grown accustomed to viewing it through a certain lens and you're trying to change that response so it's definitely easier to train these cues on a blank slate in my opinion than it would be on a horse who has already been started a certain way but like I said it gives me a means of enriching training even if it's not used all the time on every horse Um, Because like I said, there are limitations, especially if the trainer, I mean, if the owners of the horses you're training aren't working closely with you because it doesn't really do the horse a lot of favors to train them in a way that's only applicable to when you're handling them, which again, this was my concern with teaching positive cues because... I kind of got a bad taste in my mouth regarding positive reinforcement under saddle in particular because there were some people online who were like insistent that any pressure and release was bad. Um, And my problem with that was that our cues for riding the traditional horse and how like all of us have been trained to ride involve pressure and release. So if you're going to employ positive reinforcement and teach all different cues, it shoots the horse in the foot for when they ever get rehomed. And that was my biggest concern with it. And the people that I had first interacted with when we were discussing the concept of positive reinforcement under saddle were very adamant that any pressure and release was aversive to the horse and should not be used. And it just... Put me off of the idea so much then that I didn't really look further into it until I was in class, and the way Shauna explained it made sense. She said you'd still teach the cues using the same aids that you would typically use, but you're linking them to a reward. And so, as you get going further in your riding, like it would become pressure and release in the sense that you're not going to keep your leg on after you ask the horse to go forward because then it habituates them to the leg rather than making it a clear, sharp signal to go forward to trot or canter or whatever you're trying to do. Um, But building that association means that they have a different mindset surrounding that initial forward motion and that they view it as rewarding, especially if you continue to reward on an intermittent schedule as you develop the horse and I hope that like in sharing this that it gives people an idea that perhaps they might not have been open to in the past like I was um because that was honestly the most effective way that anyone has ever explained that concept to me and it made a really big difference um but yeah this is kind of going into like a windy like not focused um schedule as I said I usually do on my podcast and I'm starting to lose my voice um if you haven't able to tell. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like, like, like I, what I want to clarify, because I do think that there is a certain level of misunderstanding in horse training when we talk about the training quadrants and like negative and positive methods. Um, a lot of people view negative as just meaning bad and like perceived as negative or bad to the horse but negative really only refers to the removal of something, whereas positive refers to the addition of something. So for example, positive punishment isn't viewed as good by the horse because they're getting a punishing stimulus added to discourage them from performing a behavior. And negative punishment doesn't mean bad because all you're doing is removing a rewarding stimulus from a horse. And I find that a lot of people online oversimplify the training of horses by saying that they're only using one quadrant like train like positive reinforcement when it's impossible to only do that and a lot of people even who think they're only training positively will use pressure and release and negative reinforcement to some extent in their program without even necessarily realizing it but in order to effectively use positive reinforcement in training you inadvertently have to be using negative re- i mean negative punishment Because when the horse doesn't perform the behavior you want, you're not rewarding it. You're pulling the reward away. And that is the punishment in that sense to discourage them from doing the unwanted behavior. So I think like unfortunately online, there has been such a fundamental misunderstanding of how to properly apply these training methods and how to properly utilize like positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and both types of punishments it's been skewed online and it has turned people away from even wanting to attempt to use positive reinforcement because they view it as like some lovey-dovey awarding bad behavior type thing and not ever punishing when the horse is bad but you are punishing just in a different sense than what a traditional program might be doing but it's put a poor taste in people's mouths surrounding that because it's very much portrayed in a my way or the highway mentality and that if you do anything slightly differently than this that you're bad and that this is how you have to do everything or it's poorly explained in the sense that it's very simplistic in how it is used with like for example predominantly having trainers that showcase it the most using trick training or not adequately showing how they use it under saddle and then it leads to confusion from people and the belief that it cannot accurately be used to train certain behaviors when in most cases you can use it in addition to other training methods like negative reinforcement to add a reward or to mark the pressure and release cues with a reward rather than having the reward solely be the removal of the pressure and admittedly that's where a lot of my misunderstanding was too because a lot of people perpetuated the idea that pressure and release can never be used in a positive reinforcement program when in reality like even when i was breaking like my auction ponies initially like how i taught them to initially respond to leg aids on the ground and then under saddle was with pressure and release and marking the correct response to that behavior with a food reward and I didn't view this as using positive reinforcement because so many people online had drilled it into my head that if you use pressure and release in any circumstance that you're an aversive trainer but that's what it was Um, and yeah that level of misunderstanding and just having there be so many conflicting opinions online also makes it harder to change the horse world and to start to model different ideas in training and that is also really unfortunate because I think we would be able to do more profound change if it were better explained and if people took less of a hard line with the attempt to vilify the other side that does things differently Um, But with that said, I also think there's a line that needs to be drawn between people feeling like they're being bullied or that they're victims of unfairness when people simply release information that draws an uncomfortable awareness on certain training methods like for example the discussion of aversive training methods like draw reins used to force the horse into a certain position and how that might compromise welfare a lot of people will feel attacked by that and as a result they lash out at the other side and either call them stupid or say that they haven't had enough training experience haven't been on enough difficult horses haven't ridden at x level so on and so forth and it's like a defense mechanism for them because they don't want to come to terms with the fact that potentially something they've been using could cause harm to the horse and that doesn't allow for conversation in the same way either and it happens on both sides where people take such a hard line on how to do something that they don't allow for conversation and in a lot of cases like people are more or less will be on like a similar page, but they don't realize it because they are just so, like, rigid in how they want to explain things. And I'm going to try to do less of that. With that said, like I said just before this, like, I do think that people's feelings shouldn't need to be taken into account as much when you're just sharing information because i don't feel like people should view it as attack as an attack when someone just posts a study and i've definitely seen this happen where someone will share a study on something that's popular in the horse world and then people act like they've been attacked when all they've done is share information you shouldn't feel attacked by information and if you do those are emotions you should sit with and ask yourself why you feel that way i say this as someone who has been guilty of doing that And generally speaking, the reason why you get your back up and get defensive and don't want to or feel offended that someone's like sharing that information like it's an attack on you, it's because to some extent there's probably a feeling of guilt or you don't want to come to terms with the possibility that you've been doing something wrong. And it's definitely hard, but I think that if we're actually in this sport for the horse and for our love of horses, we should welcome new information, even if it might force us to either have to adjust our training methods or have to train knowing that there's a good possibility that what we're doing is wrong or unfair and that requires a lot of personal growth which for me personally I feel like I have gotten to a point in my life finally where I am more comfortable admitting my wrongdoings and looking at mistakes I've made in the past more critically and admitting to that but with that said it's not easy to do because like I've had people try to come at me before when I say certain things and be like oh yeah well you used to do this you hypocrite and it's like it's not hypocritical to grow as a person and adapt the way you do things as a result But people will try to make you the villain for doing that because they feel uncomfortable or threatened by the information that you're putting out and trying to silence you from saying it is more comfortable than them coming to terms with what is actually being said. So to some extent, I also think human psychology is an important factor to learn in horse training because a lot of times you're having to train the humans and having to find the best way to feed them information to help their horses. Um... So I hope this was like helpful. I've done a lot of rambling and who knows if people are actually going to listen to this in entirety. If you do, all the power to you. And thank you for actually listening to my rambling thoughts because I do have like a lot a lot of insecurity about like <laughs> if my podcasts are like even good or worth posting after I post them. And generally speaking, I can't even listen to them back because I don't like the sound of my voice. So I kind of just hope for the best and hope that they're received well and that what was said was said half decently and I do find that being able to say it like verbally through a podcast and just having kind of these more rambling conversations allows me to voice things in a way that more clearly reflects my thoughts on them than what I might be able to do like in writing or on tweets, blog posts or shortened video clips where I just briefly touch on a concept within a vlog video rather than making the whole video surrounded by it and can't go into detail on it so I think the podcast is good for me because it allows me to voice my thoughts concerns and opinions and what I've learned and kind of dismantle it and look further into it than I could on other venues and I hope that other people can understand and appreciate that even if it's not necessarily in the most organized setting ever and I also really do appreciate the support I appreciate all of you who share my podcast with nice comments and it means a lot to me like whether I am able to like voice that in writing in a way that actually makes it clear like I'm so bad at accepting compliments and it might seem that I'm like not sincere or that I don't care but that's definitely not the case um so yeah like I hope that this was interesting to you and I would also much appreciate it if anyone like has like specific topics that they want covered following listening to any of my podcasts If there's something that I said that you would like me to go into more detail on, or if there's certain topics that I haven't talked about that you would like me to talk about, I definitely appreciate the suggestions and I will definitely take them into account. Um, With that said, sometimes it can take me a while before I cover a certain topic because to go in detail and kind of do a full podcast on it requires like a certain level of interest in the topic and having that spark of like knowing what to say where even if I'm interested in a topic and I know what I want to say about it it can be hard to get in the mood where I'm ready to just do a whole podcast on it which is why my podcasts are also probably inconsistent in their upload times and whatnot but I do appreciate the suggestions because I'm busy and it can be hard to think of topics and then if someone sends me a topic that really pushes me into inspiration then I kind of just do it and bang out an entire podcast all at once so it's helpful for getting me to upload more frequently but anyways this has been so rambly and I'm just trying to say like my conclusion and it's rambling still so anyways thank you everyone for watching i hope you all are having like a lovely fall or if you live like on the other side of the equator like in australia like my friend chloe does happy like spring i guess um and i hope that you're all staying safe and healthy and are all mentally doing well and just having a good time and if you're not i hope that it gets better um so for those of you listening to this you've already found my podcast and that's great so i don't need to tell you where to find it but i'm also on instagram at sd equus and same one on twitter and then i'm also on facebook milestone equestrian and youtube shelby dennis just my name And I also have a merch store on Teespring called Milestone Equestrian. You can find the link on like any of my social pages. There's some really cool seasonal apparel that's for Halloween that will be out of the store as of October 31st. So if you're interested in any of that, I would recommend ordering it soon so that you don't miss out. And I also have lots of new designs that I've added to the store as well that are pretty cool. And any support of like my podcast or my merch store or anything like that all goes into helping me do what i'm trying to do like with my education and my horses and just building that business those are kind of the things on the side that allow me a little bit more freedom and flexibility to do things i'm also on patreon with sd equus S D E Q U U S. And my Patreon is also a way to kind of support what I'm doing and allow me more means of flexibility to pursue the endeavors like education and get more equipment for the podcast like a microphone so it doesn't sound like a complete trash all the time or update stuff for my youtube channel and whatnot those are all ways that are great to support me there's also a support option on the anchor podcast that's not dissimilar to patreon in that it's a monthly fee um but patreon has a few more perks where i'll like post like behind the scenes stuff and things but i've been pretty busy so it's been hard to do um But with that said, like, that's another good option if anyone is interested in supporting me. But anyways, even just listening to this is supportive and I really appreciate it because it's just like people valuing my rambling thoughts and that's like a pretty big deal so thank you all for your support and thank you for listening to this and I really appreciate it and I'm sure I'll have more topics like this as I continue to complete my course because it's drawing up like a lot of thoughts and opinions and just having me kind of address aspects of my own training program and adapt them so thank you again and I really appreciate all of you and your support